Hey guys, I'm Kristen. And I'm Kara. Welcome to Town and Field Church. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning. Now, as we prepare to gather and open up the scripture and worship, we pray that wherever you are at would become an encounter with Jesus and that you would be reminded of the abundant life that's found in him. Yeah, we just pray that your home would become an extension of this house, that you would feel welcome here just as you are. Our service will begin in just a moment. Good morning, Town and Field. I want to welcome you to come on in. Uh, it's Thanksgiving weekend, so we want to give thanks. We want to praise the Lord and join with all the other people and beings that are praising the Lord. Um, I'm just so thankful that Jesus can bring us joy uh, in the midst of anything, suffering and trials and troubles. We still have that freedom to praise him.
just pray, Lord, that you would be with us today. Join us in spirit today as we worship you. We worship you in song. We worship you in prayer. We worship you as we study your word. We just bow before you, and we are thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. So just before you sit down on this great Thanksgiving day, I'd love for you to turn and tell everyone what you're doing for Thanksgiving. Just say hello to everyone. Well, good morning on this sunny, warm Thanksgiving day. Obviously, very uh, quite a few thankful people looking forward to the meal, either today or tomorrow. Good morning. My name is Greg. For those that I haven't had a chance to, to meet, I, I serve here on the board. Um, today, I get to be your host. I just wanted to, again, wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have uh, a great day today. There's just a couple of announcements. The first announcement is that next Sunday we have a Connect Brunch. For those of you that are fairly new to the church or that you want to know more about how the church works and the staff, Connect Brunch is between the services, between first and second service, and it'll be here uh, in the church office and you'll be able to ask all your questions and just connect with some of the pastoral staff and, and uh, just understand better how the church works. The second announcement is connected to the pastoral staff. Today just happens to be Pastor Appreciation Day. So if you can join me, appreciating the pastors here. As a, as a board and as many of you are volunteers, I'll pause for a second. There, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 volunteers for this church. Everyone here recognizes how blessed we are with our pastoral staff. They are a tremendous group of people with a true heart for the Lord. So uh, if you haven't had a chance to connect with them, take the opportunity. They are a wonderful uh, bunch of people. And there is a table in the center of the foyer. As you go out, take the time to write a note and just a, a note of thanks and encouragement to our wonderful uh, pastoral staff. And uh, with that, I'm going to introduce one of our wonderful and great uh, pastoral staff, Catlin. Thank you. It's so good, man. Um, I don't like surprises um, whatsoever. And I like to know what's going on. And I was in here while the team was rehearsing and uh, praying up. And I go out and I was like, what's in the middle of the, what's, who put this out there? In the, in the foyer, who just, who's setting stuff up without me knowing, you know? And then someone's like, relax, bro, it's for you. So I was like, okay, it's permitted. Um, yeah. We started a series last week called Eden, because we're going to spend four weeks in Eden, which is the place where God and humanity first do life together. We find it in the first book in the scriptures called Genesis. And we're going to do Eden because we're going to look at um, our identity, which we looked at last week. If you missed it, 
I encourage you to catch it because uh, it's, I think it's just going to be so helpful for you, but I also believe it's going to be helpful as we go week by week to build on the foundation of our identity because we can't go to where we want to go if we don't have our identity secure. So if you missed it, I just encourage you to catch it. Today we're going to look at our purpose. We're going to look at this question. We're going to answer this question, why do I exist? Then we're going to look at calling next week and the week after that. We're going to look at assignment. So if I ask you this question, why do you exist? I think this question that our generation, and I think every generation has always asked, why do I exist? Why do I exist? You know, it's so interesting, man. When I was, before I met Jesus, I had a different worldview. Uh, I, I was an atheist, I, so I just believed we existed because of a cause and effect. So we were simply, we simply existed. This is how I used to answer this question. Cat, why do you exist? I'm like, just because that's what happened uh, in the universe and things, things happened. So there was just the cause and I'm the effect. And when you have a worldview like that, life doesn't have a lot of purpose. And I think what's amazing when we come into the revelation and realization of who Jesus is, is he actually speaks purpose into our life. And you're, we're not simply the result of cause and effect, but rather we were designed and purposed, uh, designed on purpose to live a life of purpose. And so if I was to ask you that, how would you answer it? And I think our generation is asking this question. It wasn't too long ago I saw um, Douglas College running this ad campaign. So, you know, you'd see it on the buses as they go by. You see the ads on the sides of the bus, the bus stops, signs around, billboards. And it said this. It said, it said find your passion, find your purpose, Douglas College. And I remember seeing this for a while as they, ad, as they ran this ad campaign and thinking this idea of purpose. And I thought, wow, so, so if I go and I enroll at Douglas College, you know my purpose then. Like, you can answer this for me. If I pay you so much money to be a student and pay the enrollment fee, you will somehow answer this great mystery question of the age of why do I exist? What is my purpose? And it said, find your passion, find your purpose. So then as I went down their train of thought, I said, is my passion my purpose then? Is that it? Do I live, do I exist just to fulfill the thing that I'm most passionate about? Because each of us is passionate about something different. Some of y'all are passionate about bicycles. Is that why you exist, is so you can just do bicycle stuff? You know what I mean? Like, like we can just pick our passion. Is that my purpose? Is that why I exist? Like, some of y'all passionate about plants. Like, is that why you exist? It's just to grow, a, like, plants, you know? And when your plant dies, do you die? Like, do I not exist because my plant died? You know, it's just like, why do we exist? And it's not just... It's not just the world asking this question. Look, it's even in, even in the faith community and expression, um, even in churches, we're asking this question. And one of my favorite churches, one of my favorite communities is out of Nashville. And I, I really love this community. I love their pastors. And they were doing a conference recently and in their promotion for their conference, it said, if you come to conference, you'll find your purpose. And, but they actually said it this way. They'll find, they said, they'll, you'll find your unique purpose. And I love this, this faith community, I love this church, but I was actually, I, I didn't agree with their promotional. Because they said, so unless I come to Nashville and come to your conference, you have the answer for me. Like, you're the only one that knows the purpose. But then they also went down this train of thought, which was find your unique purpose. Which I think is fascinating, because that's how our world looks at it. Faith and non-faith, our world looks at it that you, you have such a unique purpose. But could it be, friends, 
that you and I have a collective purpose. That means the same purpose. Could it be that you and I exist for the same reason? That you and I don't exist for different reasons. Like you somehow exist. The, the universe somehow birthed you into existence for this. For bicycles and plants. But I was birthed for a different purpose. Could it be that there's a God that birthed you, created you, designed you, knitted you together in your mother's room for a collective purpose? It's interesting because when the scriptures were written, they were written, they were written to a community-based audience. But we live in a Western individualistic-based society. And so when we read scripture... When we, when we interpret the world, we look at it individualistically. So that means that when we talk about purpose, the first thing I ask is, what's my purpose? Because I live in the West and I look at everything for myself. What's my purpose? Why do I exist? So when I read the scriptures, often it's like, we'll do this. We'll read scripture. We'll say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What, what's, God, do you have a purpose for me? But what's interesting, in the first, the first readers would have always read it in a community mindset, which when they read scripture, they would say, what are you saying to us? Watch this difference. Lord, what are you saying to us? But we in the West say, what are you saying to me? But they would have said, what are you saying to us? So when they, when, when, when they, when they would go into this poetic, uh, this poem in Genesis 1, they wouldn't read it like, Lord, what are you saying to me? They would say, what is it for us? But because we're in the West, we want my own individualistic purpose. As if, like, currently, what, there's, like, 8 billion people. Like, God somehow is, like, there's 8 billion different purposes. No, I'm going to, I think there's a collective purpose that God spoke to us. And if we can shift our mindset to, to, to interpret Scripture the way it was delivered, then we'll see it in a communal perspective. And I don't think it's this great mystery to be solved. Because we are all going on this search as a, as a society to say, what's my purpose? As if it's some witch hunt. As if it's some great treasure, like, like, like uh, was it, treasure hunt. And we, have, and we have clues and we're just trying to find our way. And maybe Douglas College has the answer for me. Or maybe, maybe this conference in Nashville has the answer for me. But here's the thing. I think God is kind. And I think it would be unkind for God to make it such a mystery that we would never solve. And so I think it's a lot more simple than, what we're, than what, we're, what we're led to believe. We often want to take faith and we want to make it complex, but I believe it's more simple than we realize. So can I take us to Genesis 1? We good this morning? How we doing? Balcony, you okay? You okay? Stay awake. Stay awake with me. Genesis 1, we're going to start in the, the 26th verse where we started last week. God says this, Let's make mankind, humanity, in our image, in our likeness. That's where your identity comes from, if you missed last week. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In his image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's move to chapter 3. In chapter 2, he creates Adam and Eve. They're put in the garden. And then watch what happens in the third chapter. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so he says to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you'll die. Oh, you won't certainly die, said the serpent. For God knows that when you eat from, from the tree, 
your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Watch this. So sin, now separation has happened. Sin has entered the world. They've come to this. Their eyes have been opened. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Watch this. This is the part I can't have you miss. Sin has entered the world. Adam and Eve uh, have gone against the will of God. And look at God's response. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid. I just need you to catch this one. They hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I heard you walking. I heard you moving about Eden. I heard you coming our way. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So I hid. So I hid. Last week we discovered that our identity is that we are a son and daughter of God. Made in his image, in his likeness. It's our identity and our purpose will come out of our identity. And look what happens. God created humanity in his image, placed him in the garden to be in relationship with him. So you were created on purpose for a purpose, to walk in relationship with the living God. God has designed you to be in relationship with him. You're, you exist for that purpose, that when God breathed you into existence, he breathed you into existence so that he could have relationship with you. That's what happens. But then watch Genesis 3. Sin enters. They're, they're separated. And watch what happens. In the middle where sin comes in, God could have gone like, well, they've sinned. They've gone against my will. They've brought sin into the world. And so we're just gonna, I'm just going to abandon them and leave them because that's on them. But God does quite the opposite, doesn't he? In the third chapter, we see that God comes into the garden. He comes into a relationship manner where he starts to move about the garden. He's, he's, he's still in pursuit. He's still meeting them in a relationship manner. But watch what Adam and Eve do. Watch what they do. The first response to their sin is to hide. The first response to sin is to hide, is to step out of relationship, to hide from relationship. That's their first act. They sin. They hear the presence of God coming, walking through the garden. He's dwelling with his people. He's dwelling with humanity. He's coming in relationship, but humanity, Adam and Eve, choose the opposite response in their sin. They choose to hide from God. That's their first sin. Their first, their, first, uh, their first response, their first move, their first action is to hide from God. Isn't it fascinating? That the very first thing, they were created on purpose to be in relationship with God. That is why you and I exist. God created you so that you would exist to be in relationship with him. And when sin enters the world, the first thing we do is hide from relationship. Are you hiding? We hide from relationship. And I love it that contrary, God starts walking and he meets them relationally. He says, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where are you? What a relational question. God knows exactly where he is. But God's engaging the relationship. Where are you? Where are you? And the first thing they do is they walk out of purpose for their life. We exist, we exist to be in covenant relationship with God. 
And it's what we see in Genesis when God dwells in the garden with his people. And it's what we see in Revelation, the last letter of the scriptures. We see it from beginning to end. This is what we see. And this is why the father would send the son is to reconcile and restore relationship. Because what was lost was the very reason you were created. It's why you exist. Your identity is in the reality that you are made in the image and likeness. And your purpose comes out of your identity. So out of your identity, he creates you to exist, to be in relationship. Which is why he wants to restore your purpose. So he wants to to restore and reconcile relationship. So he sends the son in order to do that so he can restore you into purpose, so you can live your life on purpose. And we see this cover to cover. And so when we go to Revelation, when we get into Revelation, the last letter of the scriptures, John, St. John, Pastor John, he gets this revelation from Jesus. And this is what it says in the 21st chapter. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. God's dwelling place. The other way to say that God's, the place he abides, the place he stays, the place he dwells is among the people. Oh, similar to in Eden, when he dwelled in the garden, he walked in the cool of the day and he met Adam and Eve there in heaven and earth. We're we're unified in one and sin separated them, but in Revelation they're back overlapping again. And he says, look, God's dwelling place, oh, like Eden, is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. From Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, we see that The purpose of humanity is to be in relationship with God. And so that's why he restores it, reconciles it. We see it both in Genesis and Eden. And then he brings it to to, uh, full circle in Revelation. And so that's why we exist. It's to be in relationship with God. So sometimes people will then say, well, why do I need him? That's a great purpose, but why do I need him? My life is is good. My life is going good. Especially working with young people, they'll often say, well, my life's good. And if we answer that, if we answer this question, why do I need God? Why do I need him? We answer that and we say, well, my life's good. I don't really need God. That's because you've come to a place where you believe that those things that you feel like make your life good is the reason you have identity and purpose. So if you feel like those things in your life, your job, your economic standing, your relationships, your network, all these things that you feel like my life's good. I'm satisfied. I'm good. I don't need God. That's because you have, you, you have determined in your soul that your identity and your purpose are in those things, so you're good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad you found it. But can I just encourage you, friends, that it's cheap, and it's a knockoff, and it's a counterfeit, and it doesn't fill the deepest parts of your soul. If it were true, though, if it were true, though, would it not be, would we not see society thriving more in identity and in purpose, and yet we have a generation who have no idea who they are, they don't know their identity, they leave it up to their own imagination of who I am, and then they have no purpose. So it would seem to me that those so many people think, I don't need God. But yet, then when we look at our society and our generation, we have a lot of lost people who have no purpose, who have no identity. Because the things in which they put their identity and their purpose are cheap knockoffs and counterfeits. And it does not satisfy the soul. Why? Because it doesn't meet our identity of who, who created us, who met us. 
And then there's some of us who treat, who treat God like a transactional relationship. So we come into relationship with God, but then it becomes more about what God can do for me. And I want what God can do for me versus I just want God. I just want relationship with Jesus. I want to be filled by the Spirit. And so we treat it like a transactional relationship. We treat God like a genie who I simply come to for my wishes. And when I don't get them, I get mad. And so I come to God. God, and we, and, and we want our wishes. And because we're spiritual, we say, we say it's prayer. But it's wishes. And I wish God would do this. And I wish God would do that. And when I pray for it, and I wish it, and God doesn't do it, I get mad. Like he owes me something. Like he owes me something. I'm not sure, man. I don't think God owes us anything. And yet we pray like he's a genie. I got my three wishes. And so when we pray, it's like we're, we're running, rubbing the lamp. We're like, God, would you do this? And we pray for stuff. I'm like, God. And we treat it like this transactional relationship. And we want what God can do for us, but we don't want God. We don't want the relationship, which means we're out of purpose. And we treat him like this transactional relationship. But we were not purposed for God to serve us. Watch this. When we get to Eden, we were not purposed for God to serve us. We were purposed to be in relationship with him and to serve him and to honor him. And yet we, we will engage in the relationship with God like, God, you owe me. As if we were created and our purpose was that he would, he would glorify us. No, we were created to be in relationship and glorify him. Are you with me? Man, come on. It's like, man, we were not made that he would glorify us. We were made to be in relationships so we would glorify him. That's why I always say it this way. We were, we were created for his glory and our great joy. Because it's for his glory, but it's honestly our great joy that we get to have access and relationship with Jesus. And then watch what happens. In Exodus 20, uh, uh, Moses gets the Ten Commandments. And if we look at the first two commandments, the first two are relational. Worship God only. Don't make idol statues. They were relational commands. Why? Because he wants Israel, and therefore he wants his people to walk in their purpose, which is to be in relationship with him. So he gives the first two commands are relational commands. And then it parallels, in Matthew 22, the great commandment. These religious leaders come to Jesus. They say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. It is a relational commandment. What is it? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus, if you, could, if you could sum up all the laws and the prophets, what is it? And he says, this is everything the law and the prophets say. Love God with everything you have, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because it's a relational command. It does nothing about doing. It's all about being. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It doesn't say go do stuff for him. It says be with him. Because it comes out of your identity, which is the beloved. And if your purpose comes out of your identity, and our purpose is to be in relationship with God, he says, then just love God with all that you have. Nothing about doing, earning, proving. Just being. And if we live this out, we live a life on purpose, living in purpose, then we will walk in identity and purpose. So then the question is this, if it's true, if it's true, then the question I have to ask myself, am I living a life on purpose? Like, am I, am I walking with Jesus? Am I, living a, am I living it out? Am I, is it transactional for me? Or am I actually just walking out relationship with Jesus? 
Am I walking on relationship with Jesus? And this is why we have our spiritual practices. We have spiritual practices. We have, there's nine spiritual practices that I, that I talk about in practicing the way of Jesus, adopting this lifestyle of Jesus. Why? In and of themselves are just a method. But they help us engage in our relationship with Jesus, like hospitality and fasting and prayer and scripture and generosity. They're just methods, but the methods help us frame our life, have a lifestyle that helps us engage in our relationship with Jesus. And so that's why we engage in our spiritual formation and our spiritual practices, because they're practices that help us engage in this relationship. Oh, and then I love it. There's a story in Luke 10. There's a story of Mary and Martha. And they come to Jesus. Jesus comes to their house. And I just want to show you this story out of Luke 10. They're so nice, Mary and Martha, to host Jesus and his disciples in their home. And Mary comes and sits at Jesus' feet. And Martha is doing a wonderful job hosting. She's cooking and cleaning and doing the things. But she's getting upset with Mary. And she says, she's getting upset. And she goes to Jesus. She says, Jesus, because Mary's just sitting at his feet, receiving relationship, sitting under the rabbi's teaching and, his, and sitting in his presence. And, and Martha comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell Mary to get, to get her butt in here. Like, tell her to, to help me host. You brought these 12 guys. You've got to feed them cooking, I'm doing all this work, I'm doing, I'm doing, and I'm doing, and Martha's just being, or sorry, Mary, Mary's just being, tell her to help me, Jesus says this, Jesus says this, it's a fascinating text, Jesus says, I won't take this moment from her, because she's chosen the better thing, Mary thought it was about hosting them, Mary understood it was about being in his presence, Martha wanted to do a good job, I don't blame her, she wanted to do something. That's how I am often. I want to do something. I want to do something. I want to do something. But for Mary, it was about being in his presence more than doing for him. And this is why in Revelation, the second chapter, Jesus gives John a revelation, an insight, and in it, he talks about seven churches. And there's one particular church that has captivated me in, this, in these recent weeks. And it's a, it's, a, it's a note to the church in Ephesus. And Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, he says, you have done such a good job. Isn't that what we'd all want to hear from Jesus? You've done such a good job. You've done all the right things. You've done it right. You've done all the good things. You've done all the good things. You've done all the good things. But watch. Watch what he says here. Revelation 2nd chapter, verse 4. You've done all the right things. Oh, I know your deeds. Watch this. Verse 2, actually. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. Oh, wouldn't we want to all hear that? You've done it right, man persevere through some stuff your hard work but then we get to the fourth verse yet I have this against you whoa whoa Jesus I thought you just said we're doing okay you have forsaken the love you had at first you've forsaken your first love it came about the doing and less about me but if you want to walk in purpose just have a relationship with me. And of course, there'll be an overflow where I want to express my gratitude and love and I want to serve him and build his church. And of course, I want to do things. But he's like, hey, but in the doing, don't forget your first love. 
Don't forget the reason that in Eden we were together and it was perfect and uni- it was in unity and harmony and what was separated and severed in relationship, I came and sent the son to restore because that's what matters is the relationship. I didn't save you so you could do more. I saved you so we could be together. So in the 21st chapter of Revelation, we can see it again that when God dwelt with his people in Eden, he'll dwell with them again in Revelation and he walks amongst them. And we see that in the second chapter to Ephesus, he says, don't forget your first love. And friends, I wonder how many of us have forgotten our first love. That we've been doing the motions. We've been doing the thing. We've, been, we've got religious, but we forgot relationship. That it's been less about Jesus, and it's been more about the doing. And when I evaluate, if you would look at your week, you're like, how am I spending my time? You're like, Sunday is my Jesus time. Oh, friends. What would it look like to have to have Jesus, to walk in purpose, to walk in identity, to walk this life out with Jesus, not to keep doing like Martha, but to sit in his presence like Mary. And so I wrote a song about it. Can I read you the lyrics? Or a poem. I'm not sure what to do with it yet. I'm no poet, but I wrote something about Revelation 2 because it really, it really got to me. Because I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I'm just a naturally a doer. I like to do things. People on staff say, Cat works too fast. He hustles too quickly. I just say, y'all move too slow. But it's because I'm a doer and I can't help myself. Are you, any task, people, you love to check off the list? Pfft, no, you don't. Did you, never mind. Y'all just a bunch of lazy people here. I'm a, I'm a list guy. I'm like, give me the list. I'm going to get the list done. And because of that, here's the temptation for me. I forget my first love because I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to get to you. I'm going to get to you. I promise I'm going to get to you. But let me just do the stuff first. That's me. And so because I recognize myself in the narrative of Ephesus, I was like, ooh, if I could personify Ephesus, I was like, I'm Ephesus. Like, that's me. So I wrote a song about it. It says this. I'm not saying it's good, by the way. I'm just saying I wrote it. So don't judge it. I'm giving it to our team to do something with. Okay, listen to this. I hope it helps somebody. That's why I'm exposing it. I've given it my all. I did what I thought was right. Persevered through the darkest of nights for the sake of your name. Through the passing of time, I lost my way. My true love changed. I replaced you, traded your love for labor. It's not what you want, so I'm coming back to where we started. That moment when life first changed, when I was found by grace and called by name. So I'm stepping through. Oh, it's the idea of a thin veil, by the way. So I'm stepping through. No, I missed a line. I don't even know my own song. The door is wide open. That's true. John 10.10. The door is wide open. So I'm stepping through. Jesus, you are my first love. I'm longing for you. You ask me my name, not what can I do. So I will stay here with you. Jesus, you are my first love. I'm returning to you. The one who calls us home sets us free. My priorities are straight. I I can see you clearly now. I toiled for so long trying to do it right. I forgot your burden is light. I told for so long, trying to do what is right. I forgot your burden is light. Is there anyone that recognizes that? I recognize that. I always, I always said, there's a text where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, my burden is light. I said, no, it's not. I said, it's often heavy, man. It's because I was walking outside of purpose. I was trying to do it on my own outside of purpose. Maybe you're trying to do life outside of purpose. Maybe you're trying to do life apart from relationships. And I just wonder this morning if there's just people in this space 
that you've been asking the question, why do I exist? What is the purpose of my life? Is it just to fulfill all the things that are in, that are in me, all, all my dreams and hopes and ambitions? Is that it? Is that why I exist? And I try to accomplish them before I die. Or could it be that since the beginning, since God breathed it into existence, he's already spoken purpose and identity into your life. And it's simply taking a step to say, Jesus, I want to step into that. Jesus, I want to receive that. And we, and we don't have to go on this, this, this like witch hunt or treasure hunt trying to find it and, and just believe what the world says. Like, this is why you exist or this is why you exist or just to get us famous or to get as much money or to get this. And so we purpose our lives around those things, but then we feel hollow and lonely and abandoned. Or could it be that since the beginning, God has ordained it for your life, has purposed your life to be in relationship with him? And some of you have heard this before. And you're like, yes. But then, like, if you're like me, we get in the rhythm of doing life with him, and then slowly, it's this slow burn of all of a sudden we turn our attention to doing the stuff and being at the right things. And it becomes more about rhythm and routine than it does relationship. And I just wonder this morning, friends, if there's people, and you just feel God pressing in on you, you're just like, God is maybe reaching you, he's, he's engaged with you, he's speaking to you even in this moment. And I just wonder, friends, if there's people that need to step into purpose, Maybe for the first time. I wonder if there's people in this room that you recognize like me with emphasis and you're like, man, it's been about the doing and I've forgotten my first love and I just wonder, friends, if there's people in this room that you need to come back to your first love. You need to be like Mary, sit at the feet of Jesus. It's not what Martha was doing was wrong or bad. It just wasn't the priority in the moment and sometimes what we're doing is not wrong or bad at all. It's just, it's just our priorities are out of alignment and Jesus isn't our first love. So friends, I just wonder in this room if there's just people that need to respond. So our team's going to come and lead us. They're going to come and lead us in just a response time. I love opening the scriptures with you. It's an honor to do it with you. I believe when we open the scripture, God moves and he speaks. And so I came with an expecting heart this morning, believing as we open God's word that he's speaking to people this morning. And so as the team's going to lead us in response, can we stand? Why don't we stand? Come on, church. As the team leads us, if you're in a place this morning that you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never stepped in purpose, you've always wondered why you existed, it's to be in relationship with Jesus. It's to be in relationship with God. If you've never, if you've never taken that step, if you've never said yes to Jesus, this morning you just have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. For the very first time in your life, you can say yes. It's not complicated or hard. That's why I said, what did I say in the beginning? Where's my notes? I said, we want to take faith and make it complex, but really it's just more simple. God's kind. It would be unkind to make it so complex. It's kind to make it simple. The complex part he did on his, his end. And on our end, we just say yes to Jesus. Come into relationship with him. My other encouragement is for people who you know who God is. But he has not been your first love. That's okay. That's been my story. There's no shame. That's why I love the, the, the narrative of the prodigal son and the lost coin and the lost sheep. Jesus tells three stories and just all about coming back to him. There's no shame. It's just recognizing that and saying, Jesus, yes, I want to come back into relation. I want you to be my first love. And maybe there's some of you this morning, you just feel, you feel like this, so those spirits tugging on your heart. And maybe God's just calling you back to his being his first love. 
having him as your first love. So the reason I love having music after the message, we could just leave, but I want, I want the work of the Spirit to, I just want to allocate time in our collective gatherings for the Spirit to do a work in people's lives and hearts. That's why I think it's important to have time after the message to respond. And so there's, we're just going to have, I don't know, they're, they're going to do a couple songs. But while they do that, you can just, you can just, we can respond through worship, but make the praise loud. But we can also just have a moment where we say, Jesus, I just want you to be my first love. Jesus, I want to make a, a decision to follow you maybe for the first time. So God, we thank you. Come on, pray with me. God, we thank you that you destined us, that you purposed us from the beginning, that you wanted to do life together and you dwelled with them. You walked in the cool of the day through the garden. And when our first, when our first action our first response to separation was to hide. Your first response was to engage. And God, we thank you that what we see for what's ahead for us in Revelation, it says that you will dwell with your people. And it's what we saw in Eden. It's what we see in the end days is that you will dwell with your people. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sin, but just you dwelling, just relationship, harmony, and unity between humanity and yourself people walking in purpose. God, I pray that you would release people in our community on purpose, that they were designed on purpose, created on purpose. May we live on purpose, walk in purpose. Not pursuing the things of this world that says, no, 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 your purpose will be found here. God, may we not be deceived by the words of this world, but may we have a secure foundation on your word and what you promised us that we can walk in purpose. And even when my life's not going the way I dreamed it and I foresaw it and I planned it, even when things aren't going the way I want it, I can still wake up and walk in purpose. I can still wake up and be in relationship with you. So God, we love you. We're thankful. Come on, in Jesus' name.
take us back to Genesis, the third chapter. Verse 8. Then the man said to his wife, and he heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, and Lord there is all capitals, which means Yahweh. It's his name. But Yahweh called to the man, where are you? So he comes out from hiding, and Adam answers, I heard you in the garden. Notice, not far off, not far away, not removed. I heard you in Eden, and I was afraid, so I hid. As we go into this week, I want to I just go back into one thing, but when, as, you, as we go into this week, let's not hide. There's no shame. There's no hiding. There's no hiding with Yahweh. There's no hiding with Jesus. We don't need to hide. He comes and engages us on a relational level. And we don't need to hide because of shame or fear. Adam says, I was afraid. God's probably like, why are you afraid? I'm here. I'm here. You don't need to be afraid. We don't need to hide. So there's that line, um, 
He's running after me. I think is how it goes, right? He's running after me. Can we just do piano and voices? Can we just lift our voices? I love that line. He's running after me because I picture him in the garden. I picture him in Eden just running after Adam. And Adam says, I was afraid, so I hid. And, and yet it's like, but I'm running after you. I'm coming after you. You don't need to be afraid. Can we lift our voices? Can we declare that he is a God that's coming after you, that's running after you, that we don't have to be afraid? Come on, church, let's sing it. that when you could have left us thank you that when you could have left us because of sin you came running after us thank you God what more can we say but thank you in Jesus name come on family amen 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 I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend we're thankful for so many things and more than anything we're thankful that he runs after us amen see you next week